The intention I had was to immediately get into the book of Amos and, and preach through that book leading up into the holidays, but I'm amazed at how the Word of God, when you read it, oftentimes will answer what direction you need to go. I believe the Holy Spirit uses His Word for His glory, and this morning I believe that God's got a word for us. We are in Luke chapter 12. I want to ask you a question. When you leave the house, do you leave a light on? Okay, let's just uh, survey the group. When you leave the house, you leave a light on. Raise your hand. Okay? Boy, man, I'm telling you, this, this service, a bunch of you. The first service, four people left the light on. Now, we do that for several reasons. Oftentimes, Renee and I want you to think that we're home when we're not. Sometimes, we do it simply for security reasons. Sometimes, we like to come into a house that's lit at night. But there are different reasons people leave the light on. If you were to tell us that you were coming by and it was dark, we would turn a light on. We, it would be a, a welcome sign. It would be, a, we're glad we're, we're looking for you. And this morning, I want to ask the question, not are your physical lights on at home, I want to ask if your spiritual lights are on in your life. Because we're going to look at what I believe to be the most exciting event in history outside of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is that Jesus is coming again. He is coming again. And this morning, uh, we're going to break this passage into two sections, and I, and I hope you're challenged by it as we open up the Word of God. So let's begin with chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, I'll begin with verse 35 and read down through verse 40. If you're with me, say amen. Here we go. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Now, if you have a red-letter Bible, what, what color of print are we reading? Okay, Jesus has been preaching and teaching in parables. A, a simple definition for me would be a, a, a picture that Jesus paints Tim, you, you, you shared this in your message a few weeks ago. A picture that Jesus paints that has a spiritual meaning. So he, he's the greatest preacher there's ever been. Will we agree with that? Will we agree that Jesus is the best preacher, teacher there's ever been? And you say, well, boy, but Paul was good. Paul would say Jesus Christ is the greatest teacher there's ever been. So he uses this picture. He paints it. And then he lays on the spiritual truth, and you look at the picture and say, boy, that makes a lot of sense. So he starts this by saying, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Your waist be girded and your lamps burning. If you're going to follow along with me uh, this morning with a handout, that's, that's the first thing I want you to understand. He's describing what a servant looks like. Girded and lamps burning. Girded would mean the servant is in a position to serve, to move, to be active. What they would do, and you're familiar with this, they would take their long robes or gowns and they would tuck them into their belts and create like uh, culottes. Now, if you don't know what that word means, that's like a 1970 word. But, but in essence, it, it, it allowed them to be mobile. It's what Jesus did when he bent down in John 13 and washed the feet of the disciples. 
So he says, be girded, be ready, be active. And then what does he say? Not only be girded, he says, have your lamps burning. Your lamps burning. And that's what we're going to talk about. We know lamps uh, overcome the darkness. We know that anytime you expose darkness to any kind of light, the light over, overcomes the darkness. It overpowers the darkness. This, this uh, room, our sanctuary, is very dark with no windows other than the natural light from the doors. But if we blocked that off, all you would see is the exit signs. Very dark. But if you were to light a match in here, it would just, it would just illuminate and you'd be able to see well and, and know where you're going and, and what you're going to do. Okay? Uh, oftentimes, servants in Scripture days, they would have a light lit. They would have a lamp burning when the master was coming home. So I want you to keep that in your, in your thought bank this morning as we continue on. Verse 36, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. And when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. And then Jesus says a very interesting thing in this passage. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. So Jesus in this message says, there's coming a time when the master will come home and find his servant ready and he will bless the servant. That's an interesting thought. Verse 38, and if he should come home in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning, I want to share with you, I believe with all of my heart, we're living in a day where we have forgotten the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. We're living our life as like we're in charge. We're in charge of the decisions we make. We're living our life as if we're in charge of our health. And I, I want to remind everyone here today, listen to me, that the Apostle Paul was looking for the return of Christ in the New Testament. We are closer to the return of Jesus Christ this morning than anybody in human history. Anybody in human history. Because we're alive right now. And Paul was looking for him 2,000 years ago. And this morning, I want us to get back to the mindset that, listen to me, the Bible's true. Jesus is coming again. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that. Mark, mark your Bible in Luke chapter 12, and let's flip to the right to Acts chapter 1. Okay? Luke 12, Acts chapter 1. Now, I don't know about you. I, I'm, I'm getting pumped up already to the fact that when I'm reminded of how much God loves us and the promises of the word of God, there is hope beyond any situation you're going through this morning. Chapter one, verse four, Jesus has risen from the grave. Let's just look at verse three. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse four, 
And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Uh, let's paraphrase a little bit. In Camden. In Judea. Preble County, Ohio. In Samaria. North America. To the ends of the earth. The whole world. And when they had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Folks, we believe this took place at what's called the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane was at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And we believe the Bible tells us that Jesus will set his foot on the Mount of Olives. Jesus is coming again. And if that is true, Brother Greg, and we believe it is, amen, church? Why in the world are Christians walking around and serving and living lives with, with our holes in the our heads in the ground, thinking that we're in such tough days. Let me tell you something. Jesus is calling the shots. He always has. He continues to do it, and he will pick the time when he comes. You know, the Bible says no man knows the hour, not even the angels in Matthew. If you're following a preacher or some of your favorite preachers on television are telling you there's a date that they've got figured out when Jesus is coming, you're listening to somebody who's not preaching the Bible because he makes it very, very clear. He does call us to do two things. Gird yourself and have your lamps burning. Look at verse 36. And you yourselves be like men who wait for the master, and when he returns from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. There's something about... Uh, the response that takes place that does not have a delay. Uh, some of you have ring doorbells. Um, your phone may go off during this service. And now don't look at it if it does. But just in case you think there's an emergency and you forgot to leave your light on and you're worried about who it could be, there may be standing somebody there at your front door. But you're here, you're not going to answer the door. The picture here is, is that there's no delay when the servant receives the master. Now, the Bible says the master went to a wedding, and, and there's no specific amount of time uh, other than in the passage it says it could be on the second or third watch. It could be uh, 9 to 12 in the evening or 12 to 3, perhaps, in the morning. Uh, maybe the master didn't give the servant, uh, the exact time they would be back. But the message from Jesus is, be ready. Be waiting like the faithful servant. 
be looking like the faithful servants. You know, uh, the cousin that I just preached the funeral for a couple weeks ago, Roger, um, they were from Tennessee, family of four cousins, my Uncle Herman, Aunt Lottie. And for a long time in our life in Dayton, Ohio, for some reason, the interstate only seemed to go one way when it came to visiting your relatives, and that was people in the South expected people in Dayton to come South. I don't know how it was in your family, but then the Jacksons and Coalfield, Tennessee, and Woodruff, South Carolina, that's the way it was for a long time. Well, later, when we became teenagers, they began to come to our house on Thanksgiving, and they would drive up on Thanksgiving morning. Now, everybody knows what you do on Thanksgiving morning, right? You, you bake your turkey to bring down to church, which we've been doing about 20 years, and I imagine we'll do it again this year, amen? Uh, but back then, when I was a boy and not your pastor, I knew that they had left Tennessee at a certain hour, and I counted the amount of hours it should take for them to get there, and then around 12 o'clock, 1231, I would sit in the corner of our living room and look up the street of Canary Court waiting on that Impala to come down the road with a black vinyl top from Tennessee. Well, what's the big deal about that, Brother Greg? Young people, there were no cell phones. There were no find a friend. I know where they're at at every moment. Oh, they're in Cincinnati. It'll be an hour, a little more than an hour. Or they're in Covington. Uh, no, there was none of that. It was all guesswork. But you know what I was doing? I was waiting. And I was waiting with great expectancy. And there was great joy when I saw that they were finally here. Folks, listen to me. Christianity should be a faith of joy because we have hope beyond the grave. We have hope beyond this world. We have hope beyond our aching bones. We have hope of whatever is going on. If our, if our kids are running the wrong way, listen, God is faithful. Maybe you're here today and you say, I don't know if our marriage is going to last. Listen, listen to me. If you're here and you're saying, I don't know if our marriage is going to last, I'm begging you to give God an opportunity to work. And I realize, I realize some are just destined to separate. That's the way it's going to be. Some have just made it impossible to stay together. But I'm telling you, God is in the business of fixing things, and I love it. I love it. Um, recently, uh, I, I bought a new golf driver. If you know anything about golf, it's a key club. It's also the most expensive. And, and I got it. I was so proud of it. I was going to baby this thing. I mean, I, I just loved it. Renee know, knew that, you know, you're making a big deal out of nothing. And, and uh, the first time I played, I was putting my brand new, Braden, I was, put, Braden, I was putting my brand new Ohio State head cover on it. And as I was doing that, it was a little tight. I dropped my driver on the cart path. I can sense your frustration with me, just how you're receiving this story. Brother Greg, what do you mean? The first time I played with it, I scuffed it. So I looked at it. Now I can hear a little compassion coming through. So I looked at it, and I thought, what am I going to do? Oh, I, I can deal with this. I can deal with this. I ordered some model paint. Oh, yeah, the kind in the little... Black gloss, got a little fine brush, touched it up, 
if you were to play with me, you would say you're a horrible golfer, but your, go your driver looks nice. <laughs> Folks, listen to me. When you think about what Jesus Christ has done for us, he's never seen a scuff in a life that he couldn't fix. He's never seen damage done that he couldn't repair. And I love the fact that he deals with servants who are longing for his return. The parable of the master and the servant here, I believe, is a picture of the coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming again. And just like the servant, the servant is waiting, the servant is looking, and the servant receives him and immediately opens the door. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. And then he says, how awesome it is that the master will bless the servant who is watching for him, who is waiting for him. So Jesus is pointing us to a picture of not only his coming back, but the importance of being ready even when the return is unexpected by many. A lot of Christians live lives as if Jesus is not coming back, and some Christians live lives, look at me, listen to me, as if they don't care that Jesus is coming back. I want to tell you this morning, our only hope is Christ coming back, and he's coming back for his church, and the Bible says be ready. That's why he says in verse 38, uh, and if he should come in a second watch, okay, uh, most likely, Luke is writing to the Romans or referring to the Romans who divide their night into four sections. The Jews, were, their custom was three watches a night, four hours each, starting at 6 p.m., going to 6 a.m. the next morning. So the picture here is the master returning to bless his prepared servant. And folks, Jesus Christ will do the same for you if you know him as your Lord and Savior. Lloyd Cross had donated over 30 gallons of blood. I don't know if I've ever done a service with a better introduction to the gospel than that one right there. But late in his life, Lloyd Cross realized that his blood would not save him, that he needed the blood of another, that he needed perfect blood. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ, amen? And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, Say, praise the Lord for saving your soul. It's only based on the blood of Jesus. It's based on the blood of Jesus. I thank God when you look at the cross, the ground at the cross is level. And here Jesus, as he speaks to, uh, as he speaks in this message, as he teaches this lesson about being ready, he's saying be girded, be active, be serving, and have your lamps burning. Be expecting the return of the master. Number two, this watching theme that he's talking about, it's to be active. What do you mean, Brother Greg? When you're watching and waiting, you're to be active. God doesn't want us to be saved and just sit and do nothing. Have you ever heard somebody say, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good? 
as if we're daydreaming about uh, heaven and not serving in the life that God has given us uh, to live. Uh, watching and waiting are to be active. Let me give you a few thoughts. By, by not being asleep, but being awake. But not being lazy, but serving. But not being critical, but compassionate. By not being judgmental, but joy giving and joy living. By not being harsh, but being humble. By not being proud, but being prayerful. By not being self-righteous, but having a servant's heart. By not being shy, by not being too shy, but willing to serve. You know, when I, when I go to the doctor, they ask you about family background. Both my parents are cancer survivors. So you tell them, this is in our family's background. And oftentimes, those are some key things they look at as they take blood tests and all that as you continue to live your life. Folks, listen to me. If I told you today that one of my parents survived their cancer and they found a miracle drug to do it, if you have that same kind of cancer at the end of the service, if you'll come forward, I would give you the prescription that they received. I can assure you I would try to convince everybody here who had the same thing to receive it. Do you know that people who are cured of their cancer still die? They'll still die? If God blesses and it's from older age, amen. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, whether you're cured of cancer or not, even though you may take your last breath on earth, you will live forever in a real place called heaven. And Jesus died so that you and I could go to heaven. He paid our debt. He paid my debt, my sin debt, so that I could be forgiven. You see, the appearing of Jesus is what we call and the Bible refers to as our blessed hope. I love that. He is our happy hope. He is what we look forward to as we serve him in this thing called life. So if you're here today and you're an unhappy Christian, what are you hoping will make you happy? Think about that. If you're here today and you're not happy, you're not content, in serving the Lord, what are you hoping will make you happy? Who do you seek? What do you seek? What ship has to come in in order for you to be happy? And brothers and sisters, according to this message from Jesus, it's about being ready when he calls. It's about being ready when he calls. You know, there's some things we put off. Um, let me give you just a few things that I believe as Renee and I are in this season of our life that are easy to put off, okay? Uh, a lot of times they're chores, that, like things at home that need fixed. I mean, I could go home this afternoon, Todd, and say, well, Renee, the Lord is coming, right? The Lord's coming. I mean, uh, let, uh, let some lost person deal with this in the tribulation. Or uh, another thing that we're, t we're prone to put off are decisions that will be made after we're gone or, or decisions that need to be made before we're gone, like wills. If you're here today and you don't have a will and you have kids, uh, take care of that. Help them when the time comes. Make it easy for them. 
You say, well, I don't have time for that. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do. Because these are important decisions. And I can assure you, uh, adults in here who have lost their parents and, and things have been prearranged or pre-scheduled and things like wills have been completed, it's helped you. Uh, when Renee's mom passed, there was no will, even though they talked about it for months. You know what else people put off? They put off giving their lives to Jesus Christ. Well, I'll do it when I get older. Or I'm going to college, and I just want to see the world, man. I just want to sow some wild oats and have a little fun before I settle down and give my life to Christ. Now, let me tell you something. That fun may bring great heartache. Give your life to Jesus Christ like the servant who responded to the door immediately. Don't, don't wait to do something that you know you need to do today. And that's the picture of the servants responding to the master. What are you hoping for that it will make you happy? When that ship comes in, then I'll be happy as a believer. Verses 39 and 40 indicate a shift in this passage. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In a July 12 article, Aaron Earls writes these words from a recent Gallup poll. Most Americans still believe in God, but the majority is shrinking. That's the first line. The latest Gallup survey finds 81% of Americans say they believe in God, which is down 6% from 2017. You might say, well, that's not, uh, that's not too low. It's the lowest in history. The GSS survey finds only half of Americans say that they know God exists and has no doubts down from 63%. What are you saying, Brother Greg? Write this down in your outline. Don't let culture cloud the truth about the coming of Jesus Christ. Some may say, oh, you Christians, that's, you're just believing that. You're just holding on to things, and, and Christianity and the church is a crutch for weak people like you. And my, here's my response. You're exactly right. I'm weak. I'm powerless to do anything about changing my spiritual life. But there is one who died on Calvary to pay a debt for me that I can never pay myself. And I praise him for it. Amen? Don't base your faith on a lost world's interpretation. Don't expect the lost world to pat you on the back when you're doing the right thing. Listen to me, students. When you're at school... Don't expect the world to pat you on the back when you're doing the right thing. Expect them to bring it to your attention when you don't. Folks are looking for something. These students this year, new school year, they're searching for something. Our youngest grandson starts kindergarten tomorrow with Nora, Cody's, Sarah's little girl. He'll be the first kindergartner in history to receive detention. 
Listen to me. Lost people act lost. But Jesus is not talking to lost people. He's saying that as a believer, you make sure you're ready for the coming of Christ. And even though no man knows the hour, you have the opportunity to be ready. I love that. Let's keep going. Um, Look at verse 41. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and eat and drink and be drunk, the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed these Things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. True believers desire to live for Jesus and look for his coming. And Jesus concludes this section with some thoughts on stewardship. Number four, a steward is a manager. A manager. And most commentators would say that they're not believing Jesus is talking about physical judgment here, but spiritual judgment of unfaithfulness. Look at verse 48. But he who did not know yet committed these things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few for everyone to whom much is given from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more. Do you know this morning that we as the church here in Camden have been given much? God has called us to be a steward of what he has blessed us with. Let me give you a few things that we are to manage. First of all, the message. The message. We get the message from the word of God, amen? The word of God is not always, it is not always uh, pleasant, but it's always truth. It's always truth. The word of God doesn't always rub everybody with the grain. The word of God is abrasive sometimes. The Bible says it cuts like a two-edged sword. You know what the message is? The word of God, the gospel. That Jesus not only came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, was buried and rose again, he's coming again. 
He's coming again. We, we are to be stewards of that message. Secondly, we're to be stewards of the mission field. Acts 1.8, our mission field is here. Your mission field is when we go outside the doors today. Your mission field is when you get to your family. Your mission field is when you hit the clock tomorrow. Students, your mission field is school tomorrow morning. We're to be stewards of the mission field that God's placed us on. You might be here today and say, Brother Greg, if I could trade my family in, I would in a heartbeat. Let me tell you something. See yourself as a missionary who's been changed by the grace of God and go home and love your family like never before. Pray for that unbelieving spouse. Pray for those kids who, who, who say, oh, you're going to church and hear that made-up story by the preacher who just preaches out of a book. Let me tell you something. This is the living word of God, and I'm basing eternity on this book. That the author is the one who knows you and loves you more than anybody. Man, I love the fact that we have the message and we have the, the mission field, but we also have the motive. God's not willing that any should perish. God's desires for all to come to him. Remember what we said about John 3.16, John 3.17? No one in heaven will be able to say, I got myself here by being a good person. And no one in hell will be able to say, God sent me here. He's given you every opportunity. There, as a matter of fact, there's nobody in this crowd today and nobody that's watching this service online will ever be able to say, nobody ever shared with me how to be saved. You're accountable with the message of the word of God and the promises of Jesus himself. Mark your Bible here and let's go to the other gospel of John. We're just about done. Man, it's good to see some of you folks back have been sick back with us today. That's a great blessing. Amen. John chapter 14. The disciples had prayed for a Messiah that they would be delivered from Roman oppression and Jesus comes. Their prayers have been answered. The Messiah is here. And Jesus begins to talk about the cross. Hard to understand how a loving God would, would, would give himself up on a cross. Listen to the promise of Jesus here to his disciples who were frustrated and disappointed. Are you ready? I bet many of your Bibles are marked right here. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. One of the disciples is Thomas. And he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, you ready? How do you get to heaven? How does a person get to heaven? It has nothing to do with what you can do. Here's the answer. Jesus said, let's all read those first few words. You ready? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. He laid it out there. He made it crystal clear that if you want to go to heaven, you have to do it my way. You have to come 
by way of the cross. And Jesus died so that we could live. I love that. We have the motive, but we also have the means. God has allowed us a great tool, this building. He's allowed us a great community to serve in. Uh, He's allowed us uh, the resources we need to, to do just about whatever he calls us to do. The message, the mission field, the motive, the means, the last is the members. God has given us the people to do it. We're stewards. We're called to give an account for what God has done for us. For who, listen, God has given much, much is required. And as much as I love the other pastors and other churches in our town and county, let me tell you something. We should never assume that someone else is doing what God has called us to do. So I'll close with this. Are the lights on? Are the lights on? And I want to give you two reasons why they may not be in your life. The first one is this. The lights may not be on because there's no power. You've never given your heart to Christ. Now, most of you have come to this worship service and you haven't noticed something in the building. If you look straight up, you're going to see a light that is hanging by the wires. Okay, look around. Okay, you guys are looking. Um, we're going we're gonna to play hot or cold. Well, if, 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 if it were me, I would be on fire. Can you see it? Are you all that observant? I'm going to quit worrying about things, Dan, that break because they don't see them anyway. Anyway, we came in one day and that light was hanging there. So we thought, how in the world are we going to get up there? It's almost 30 feet high. Uh, the lift we have will not do it. And boom, boom, boom. The guy that wired this building, Jamie Thomas, which is Dylan Mann's father-in-law, uh, is wiring the new, uh, the new Dollar General uh, grocery store. So he was in town. And he came down and looked at it. He said, Greg, I think you're going to have to get just scaffold it to get up there to fix it. So tomorrow... Later in the day, Dan and I are going to put some scaffolding together, and we're going to get it assembled, and I'm going to say, okay, Dan, go ahead. Go ahead. You know why that light's burning? Do you know why that light's burning? Because it's connected to the power. You may not have the light on because you're not. Secondly, Christian, the light may not be on because you've stopped looking for Jesus. Oh, you've got it all planned out. You know when you're going to retire. You know that some people that plan their entire life to retire never get to enjoy one day of it. You've got your education figured out. You know where you're going to work, make the big money, how many kids you're going to have, what kind of cars you're going to drive, and where you're going to live. but you've quit looking for Jesus. What scriptures say? A man plans his path, but God directs his way. So is the light on. Every head bowed, every 